Okay, here we go. Hi, I'm Carly. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Welcome to North Star Big Book. We are in my new series where I get to interview awesome AAs from all over the continent and world pretty soon, where I get to ask them to tell me a part of the big book that they love. Because as you know, I love the big book, but nothing makes a big book come alive for me than listening to other people talk about a part of the big book that um, has helped them or that they love. Today I have Meredith, and Meredith and I are two strong AA women that are in the book, in the steps. I, I know that um, I do not see Meredith very often, but I know that she is somebody that I know is doing the work and I know is working with women and carrying our message. And because of this pandemic, one of the things I was always told by a woman who died sober, Ro Eugene, she said that you always have to, have to find gifts in all the challenges. And obviously we can list all the things we don't like about a pandemic. But one of the things I really like is that we get to do virtual AA anywhere, anytime. And when would I have ever asked, you know, you to be like, can you come on a podcast with me and do big book? But because we have to be creative now, it's really exciting. So welcome. Will you introduce yourself? I'm Meredith. I'm a recovered alcoholic. What is your sobriety date? May 6th of 1986. So I recently celebrated 34 years of sobriety. Happy anniversary. I am, I am, you can't see for the listeners, but I'm giving her the hail. Um, I'm not just saying this. I have my big book open to a random page and I said to her, what page are we doing? And she said the page I had open, but most likely it's because this is a page I use more than anything. So why don't you just get us started? First of all, tell me why you chose this page. I chose uh, page 84 and 85 because that's where step 10 is. And step 10, as I got into my sobriety, step 10 is the one that probably offered me the most mental relief. You know, I know that um, a lot of us alcoholics suffer from, you know, the voices in our head. Yes. Specifically being a woman in sobriety, we have a lot of that negative self-talk. And step 10 is the step that really relieved most of that for me. And just um, once I actually started practicing step 10 and I made sure that I had worked steps one through nine completely, step 10 gave me the most serenity. Yeah. And you know what? That Me too. I, I was 13 years sober when I first realized that I was not doing a 10 step. Mm -hmm. And um, Kevin, who was with me that day that we got to hang out, he talked about it in his lead and like the top of my head opened up because I was like, that's what I'm not doing. Because when I wasn't doing 10 steps, I needed to do a yearly fourth step because mm -hmm. my hallway got blocked. Did you always do step 10 from the beginning of your sorority? You know, I thought I did. And then there was at some point, it was probably about 20 years into sobriety where I had not taken a break from AA, but I wasn't very active for a period of time. And I got back into the book and started reading through it again and really started reading the text sentence by sentence. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point that I realized that there were basically five parts of step 10 and that I needed to work every single part of that. And once I did that um, rigorously, then I actually got the promises that it talks about in the book. 
right? Because step 10 immediately follows the promises that we read at all the meetings, which if you're a new person, I think that the way that it's done at meetings is genius because of course they're going to read the things that we're going to get to an alcoholic because we want what's in it for me, right? But what they don't, what most of us don't know or pay attention to is you don't get to keep any of those things if you don't continue with step 10. Right. And so um, why don't you just start us up on 84, tell us where we're gonna start. Okay, I'm gonna start right in the middle. It says that this thought brings us to step 10, which is basically that the promises will materialize if we work for them, which is what you just spoke to. So this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. So um, right in that first sentence, the thing that I love about that is that it tells me, here is my plan for what to do when I get uncomfortable or I screw up. Because I'm gonna screw up because I'm alive and I interact with people. <laughs> and I had that expectation that in early sobriety that if i had worked the steps that i just wouldn't screw up and that's a false expectation i mean pretty much anytime i open my mouth there's a potential for me screwing up i've had to do step 10 when i haven't even had anyone near me i've had to do it just being by myself with my mind and you know i think what is um is a myth in the rooms of AA is that if you need to do a 10 step all the time, there's nothing wrong with your spiritual condition. And that's actually the exact opposite for me. I do 10 steps to keep my spiritual condition open. So keep going. Okay. It says we vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past, which says that I don't have to finish making my amends yes. before I start working step 10 on a daily basis. They're going to ask us to multitask for the first time. They're saying, while you're working, like, because for, I don't know about you, but it, it took me about four years to get through my nine step amends. And if I would have waited four years to finish my amends list before I started taking care of my daily junk, I would have had a house full of garbage. Exactly. Okay. So the next line is, we have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. And, and I love that line because, you know, I have learned that when I get caught up in my crap and in my thinking, I'm not very understanding of myself. I'm not understanding of anybody else. And I'm certainly not effective because I'm wasting all this energy worrying about things that probably aren't even going to happen. When do you think you are most effective? I remember, I'm really hearing that word stick out while you're talking about it. Like, can you give me like an example of times in your life that you're like, I feel really effective right now, or you could look back and think about it. I don't think there's any, uh, I mean, in terms of times of sobriety. Yeah. Like what, what do you have to be, what's going on in your life when you feel like you're the most effective? The times that I am staying close to God and staying close to AA. Yeah. I mean, I feel similar. Like I feel the most connected and effective when I'm taking women through the book mm -hmm. or I'm talking, like when I'm talking about the book, which is the beautiful part of the book, I feel like no matter how messy my life is, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And yeah. it's, it's relaxing because it makes me come back to my center. Yes. Yes. So in fact, even though I'm really busy at work, I will tell my sponsees, go ahead and text me and say, can you talk? Because there's times that I absolutely need to be centered. Yeah. By working with somebody or talking about a step in the middle of my work day. Yes. 
Okay, so the next line says, this is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. And then the rest of this paragraph gets into the actual um, actions of step 10. Well, I'm gonna play devil's advocate, okay, Meredith? How long does the book tell us we need to do ten, the 10 step for? For the rest of our life. Oh, that's it? Just so the whole time? I actually have a sponsor, this is my favorite. I like when my sponsor, I'll be like, hey, where are your 10 steps? And she'll be like, oh, I don't do formal ones. And I'm like, I didn't know that there were formal and casual 10 steps, mm -hmm. or I, do, I did it in my head. And I don't know about you, but when I make a grocery list in my head and I go to the grocery store, I never get everything that was on my head list because right. I can't see it. I need to share it with somebody and be accountable for it. Right. And I think this is one of those places where the 12 and 12 does a step disservice. Please explain I that. I didn't really get that when um, I started, until I started to read the 12 and 12 a little bit more just to kind of um, spice up our big book study, mm -hmm. just to get a different perspective. And then we would read that. I'm like, oh, this is where people get the idea that you work step 10 at night or that you can do kind of a large inventory. And so one of the things that I'm very clear about is telling people that the 12 and 12 is very good for understanding why we have to work the step and to get a little bit deeper into the understanding of it, but the instructions are in the book. Yeah. There's no instructions in the 12 and 12. And one of the things that I think is confusing in the 12 and 12 about 10 and 11 is that when you're supposed to do them, the book is very clear. Yes. The 11 step is three times a day, morning, night, and throughout the day. And the 11 step is whenever we mess up, whenever resentment, fear comes up. So you're about to tell us when to do that. Right. And it says, uh, so the first part of it is continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And for me, what I generally tell my sponsors and what I look for in myself is when am I uncomfortable? When am I at odds with somebody? When am I being defensive? When am I blaming somebody else? You know, those are all red flags for me that, well, I need to take a step back and look at what's going on with me. Right. Like, so I've been actively working step 10 every single day, even if I don't have something coming up since I was 13 years sober, I'm 21 years sober. So there's never been a time where I'm like, I need to do a 10 step because I'm feeling selfish. Mm -hmm. I do them when I don't like how I'm feeling. Right. So when I'm upset, like you said, when I'm anxious, when I'm feeling really overwhelmed, when mm -hmm. I'm pissed off, that's when I need to do 10 step. And I like the, the different examples you just gave. If I'm being defensive, I can easily manipulate that and be like, oh, I'm just making my point clear. Well, right. why do I have to make it so clear? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And um, interestingly enough, I was on my way home and I was... Actually, I was kind of going through step 10 in my head or, well, actually out loud because I was yeah. in the car, let's be honest. And um, because I got a phone call from a customer that like triggered all this stuff for me. And of course, I wanted to kind of, you know, be in fit spiritual condition as right. I got on this podcast. Right. But so I was like, okay, I need to kind of do my step 10 and figure out what's going on. And um, it revealed to me that I, I was in fear and pride and ego and the, the things I was worried about was affecting my self-esteem and my self-worth. Yeah. And, you know, and it helped me kind of clear my head out to, you know, figure out 
what I needed to let go of so that I can do this, so I can enjoy the rest of my evening, so I can sleep tonight. Yeah. I and love what you just said about that. Like cool. how you're, you were able to see what mm -hmm. was underneath it when you got rid of, when you, when you started inventorying, because for me, I can't see anything when I'm upset or afraid. I just feel those feelings. And mm -hmm. until I actually do the work to unblock it, then I, behind it, I see, oh, this is what's behind it. For me, what's behind it is I'm, I almost never remember that God's available. Mm -hmm. like, I'm not kidding. I have God has you on my arm tattooed and I forget mm -hmm. it every day, which is why oh. my name is Dory, because I cannot remember mm -hmm. that my greatest tool is God. So 10 step is how I get to God. Right. For me. Exactly. Keep going. You're rocking it. Okay. So then the next sentence starts with when. Not if. And I love that it says when. It doesn't say if. It doesn't say once a decade or <laughs> once a year. It says when. And when I read that, I realized that gave me permission to screw up. Yes. And that was such a relief. And I could start to get rid of that perfection idea that I had and the idea that I had to be superwoman and have it together all the time because I absolutely don't. So when these crop up, what's the first thing that we do? We ask God at once to remove them. Now, I don't always know at that point what them is, mm -hmm. but I do know that something is going on and I do know that there is some type of character defect going on in me that is making me react in a certain way. Right, which is why the way that it's written in the book first tells me to identify the selfish dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Because for me, I also can't see what I'm asking God for help with until I, I get through that junk. Mm -hmm. Just like we did in our four step. Exactly. So I believe that this line is here to help me to practice to go to God first. Mm -hmm. Because in the next line, it talks about we discuss them with somebody immediately. And there are those times when nobody's going to pick up the phone. You know, I was sitting, I was driving home and I was thinking, love to talk to my sponsor, but I know what my sponsor's schedule is and she is busy right now. Mm -hmm. And this person is working, you know, and I'm going through all the people that I could call. And I'm like, you know what? I, you know, I just, it, this one's got to be between me and God. And then I can touch base with my sponsor later. Um, and I also believe the point of that there is to help me to get in the habit of going to God first. I really like that. I really like that you pointed that out. Because you know, as you know over and yeah. over in this book, it says no human power can relieve our suffering. Yes. And as sponsors, if we set it up so the women only come to us, then mm -hmm. they're two things are not going to know how to, to figure out their own stuff. And they're not going to remember that the real place that they need to go is their higher power, not us. Right. Because the last thing I want is to be put on a pedestal. Oh no, because we will fall right off. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's happened and it's been ugly. Mm. All right. So we discuss them with someone immediately. And the value I see in that is that, you know, up to that point, I've already told myself everything that I know. And that includes all my reasons and justifications and rationalizations and denial. And I need somebody else's help a lot of time to see things from a new perspective. Yes. I almost think of it like I'm taking out all my garbage and I'm laying it on a table. 
like one of those tables that they have at meetings, you know, like the long table. And my sponsor and I are able to walk around the table and see what I have. But my sponsor is able to point out things that I can't see sometimes because I'm emotionally invested and they're not. Right. And so they can, and because I've given them the sacred opportunity to know me through my inventory and through daily working together, when I bring up the same thing, they can help me see it differently because they remember when I said something about it earlier. They'll be like, my sponsor will be like, aren't you being kind of delusional and dishonest to expect your partner to be doing something that they've never done before? I'm like, hmm. <laughs> oh, Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know, and as I've gone through step 10s and just having different discussions with my sponsor, I'm always amazed at how just somebody saying something in a certain way or giving me a little piece of information can totally change my way of thinking about a situation. Yes. You know, there was uh, one instance where I was, and it wasn't an instance, I was, I was having trouble getting to work on time. Mm -hmm. and, and I was praying about it and I was trying to get there on time. And um, my sponsor pointed out to me that it was that I needed to be an example. Mm. And up to that period of time, my thinking was it's acceptable for me to be late because I stay late. Right. That was what you were telling in your mind. Yeah. 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 Was, she said, you are supposed to be an example. I think I have been late once in three years since that's happened because it completely changed my perspective. Right. The way that you can, the way that you looked at it, it wasn't about well, I'm doing the time on the other side. When she pointed that out, no, people are looking to you. Then yeah. you thought of it completely differently. The same situation, which is why I love this tool. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. And then make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. And, and I love that it does say if in there because there's a lot of times after I've been practicing this for a while that most of the craziness is just in my head. Right. I would say I only have to make a direct amends like once every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And it's usually to my husband or my children and exactly. for my tone or like how I got upset about something. But the majority of the time I'm doing the inventory before I make someone, I cause a harm. Right. Right. All right. And, and then I love this last line this gave me a lot of mental relief it says then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help and so that was one of those lines that in my head i turned it around to and then we help somebody which is not at all what it says mm. it doesn't say okay as part of my step 10 i'm gonna get up and leave what i'm doing and go and help somebody because that is physically impossible right um, but it, what it is saying to me is that I need to stop thinking about me mm. and start thinking of how I can be of service because up to that point, what I was doing is I would, you know, generally speaking, most of my step tens are, I said something thoughtless or I was, you know, acting out of fear and selfishness. And so usually it was something that would take, you know, five seconds to do. And then I would practice my step 10 as best I could at that point. But then I would beat myself up mm. for a period of time afterwards of, I shouldn't be doing this. Right. And, you know, I have this sobriety and, uh, and, uh, you know, and basically using the big book to beat myself up. Right. Those shoulds and shouldn'ts, which are so dangerous in AA. They are. And so I looked at this line and I realized 
this gave me permission to move forward. Right. I love that you said that I'm supposed to think about somebody else. Because for me, when I write, I do my step 10 usually in a text message and I write the word others and then I write who I'm going to think of. But I'm usually thinking of like, I need to go be of service to them because I'm with them. But I really like the idea that I need to actually think about them. Because normally for me, being of service is like going to make someone food or like taking care of my patients. But I actually need to actually consider them. Yes. Think of them. Right. And for me, a lot of this is my modification of my thinking and that's what it says to change the thought and so sometimes what that looks like for me is you know especially if i'm in the middle of something a lot of times you know i'll be working and you know if we put our mind to something else a solution will kind of hit our head you know and i'll i'll realize okay i need to turn my thoughts to somebody i can help so i will you know text somebody and say how are you doing thinking about you or I'll think about what I'm going to make for dinner that night. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I'm going to stop by and pick up this thing for my husband. Mm-hmm. Anything that is changing my thought to thinking of somebody other than how I think I was an idiot. Yes. And we have to also be careful with that because we don't want to condemn ourselves because how we treat ourselves is really how we're going to end up treating everyone else. And if we're going to be hard on ourselves like that, then we're never going to be able to be effective as a sponsor or a partner or a friend because we're never going to give anyone that slack. Right. Right. And um, I'm an engineer. And so I love how this is laid out. It's like, okay, I did one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Now I am done. I have paid this bill. It's time for me to move on. Yes. Yes. So, and then the next line, love and tolerance of others is our code. And so I have to be loving and tolerant of others, including myself. And I'm not being loving and tolerant when I'm sitting there beating myself up for saying something thoughtless. Right, exactly. Right, so next it gets into the promises of step 10. Which people do not even know that they have promises because no one talks about them because that means they have to do the work. So 10 step promises, let's go for it, Meredith. All right, it says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. For by this time, sanity will have been returned. And I always try and point out, okay, where does that tie back to? It ties back to step two, where we realize that God could restore us to sanity. Right. So that means I have to do two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and practice 10 before I even become sane and whole in my thinking. And that means it's going to require a lot of work. So attendance at meetings will not give you sanity. Right. Uh, We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally. And we will find that this has happened automatically. Now, truth be told, in early sobriety, I wasn't interested in acting sanely and normally. So it wasn't until I had some sobriety where this seemed like a good promise to me. And when you were just reading that, I thought to myself, I never behaved normally in my whole life. So for me, when this first started happening, when I was actively doing this work, and then I started looking around and realizing like I didn't just blow up at that person when I normally would have, that to me was not normal. That was like, I like wanted like a sticker. Like I was like, did you guys just see that I just totally didn't behave badly? But that's how normal people behave. Like normal people don't overreact or 
say something rude just because they're hurt. And this was new to me. Exactly. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. And, you know, I was reading this last Thursday and I realized as I was reading this that um, there have been so many times that once I've stopped fighting whatever was going on, the solution would just come. So I see that in my life on a daily basis, not just with relief from my alcoholism. Right. And you know what you said about fighting because they're talking about that here, um, the first sentence on 84 uh, on the bottom for the promises. That means I'm not supposed to, when I feel myself fighting, because I'm a fighter, when I feel myself fighting, it's because I'm not accepting and practicing being in this moment and trusting. And that's when, for me, that's when I usually have to do a 10 step because I'm fighting something that, that is not working. And right. that's usually an indication that I'm not looking at something, but then my emotions will get, I'll get too excited. Mm-hmm. I've only been able to do a 10 step in the middle of a fight three times. Have you ever done one in the middle of a fight? It doesn't go very well for me. Well, so my husband's not an AA, but I taught him how to do 10 steps because otherwise I could not be with him. And I, I, I literally made a T sign like we were playing a game. And I was like, time out. I need to go do a 10 step. And there was not one time where he was like, I really like your tone. I'd like you to keep yelling at me. <laughs> like, fine. Like he went to like the stairs and I went to the other room and I like texted Sarah and I always have to come back. I get to come back and build that bridge because I saw that I was not behaving the way I wanted to behave. And that's only happened three times. Right. And actually, this reminds me of something that I'll tell my sponsees to look for as an indication they need to work step 10, which is when we get that like feeling deep down in our gut that things absolutely have to be a certain way. And I will do anything that needs to happen to make it that way. That is a huge red flag. Because we're trying to run the show. Right. Right. All right. So it says it just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. And I realize that that is a promise that I can practice with my family too. Um, I'm in a, I have a blended family. Mm-hmm. And right now I live with my husband and his daughter. And when I am doing what I need to do, and I, which means I'm minding my own business, I am in a position of neutrality. Yep. And I can relate to that as a set mom. The only time that I do well as a set mom is when I have, when I stay in my lane. Right. Right. Because generally, otherwise what happens is I give unsolicited advice and then I get annoyed that it's not well received and then I get resentful that they didn't behave the way I wanted them to. Right. And then I get in an argument with my husband and then it's defensive and then I have to do a 10 step and I usually have to make amends, which is very pleasant. Right. (laughs) Exactly. I just had to do that, uh, I think Monday night or, or Friday night I had to do that. Yeah. Give me any weekend and I will have to do that. Exactly. All right, so safe and protected. We have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That is our experience. And then this last line, that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. So one of the things that I've noticed is that the way that this book was written is there's almost always a principle with a promise. It doesn't just say, 
here you go, you can have this. It'll say, if you want this, you have to do this. Or if you do this, then you will get that. And I see it as the darkness, like the darkness and the truth and the warnings that are in the book. Because I, when I first got sober and I heard the promises, I thought they were nice, but I, I had actually gotten to a place where I hated myself so much that I couldn't even fathom good things happening. Mm -hmm. But I paid attention to the warnings and the things that they said were going to happen if I didn't do certain things because I believed in that. And this last sentence, that is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. I have in big letter, in big letters, the word if, like it's a contingency that I only get this as long as I do this. I'm sure as an engineer, which I know nothing about, but you must have certain steps you have to do before you're allowed to go down to the next step and that you can't just jump ahead three right. steps, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to meet certain expectations. And right. what is telling me is that if I do this, then I'll get this. And, if, and on the other side, if I don't do this, then I'm going to lose this. And what every single person I've ever known in AA who was sober, working out of the book, who stopped doing the work and who had to either come back and they were lucky enough to come back or they just were dry and a mess and they got, got back on the path. Every single one of them told me that this paragraph you're about to read is the reason why. Absolutely. So it says it is easy to let up on a spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. So I did look up what laurels meant because, you know, I, right. the 1930s, you know, we read all these things and go, what exactly does that mean? So the laurel, uh, uh, I'm sure that you know, is that that crown of leaves that the Olympians would get. So right. that whole idea of you are at the apex, you are at the top, but that doesn't mean that you stop trying. Right. Which is the opposite of my alcoholic thinking, which is I just have to do this work and then I will be fine from this point forward. And that right. is completely inaccurate. Or I was helpful to that person one time and now I'm good. Like, or I did that step and now I don't have to talk about it anymore. We, we don't get to live in the past. We have to do today's work. Exactly. Yes. And that's one of the things I say to my sponsees all the time. What have you done today for your sobriety? Yes. There was a guy I heard on a lead. He was 42 years sober and he came back into the rooms after 42 years sober, he drank and he was lucky enough to come back. And they said to him, what happened? Which is what we always want to know. And he said he had too many years in AA and not enough days. He rested on the laurel of I'm 42 years sober and mm -hmm. didn't focus on what he was doing in this day, which gives me chills. Because it doesn't matter how much time you have if you're not doing what you need to do this day. If you're just collecting a chip, you need to show up today. Absolutely. So now it says we are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. And then I love that it says is we are not cured of alcoholism. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And so that was actually something that my husband had pointed out to me that it wasn't contingent on our spiritual condition, which is how I changed it in my head, but contingent on the maintenance of it. Because I don't necessarily always have control over my spiritual condition, but I do have control over the things that I do to maintain it. Right. Because we're human and we have life and life's going to happen. And if we're having a hard day emotionally, that doesn't mean our spiritual condition is off. All our job is, is to maintain it. And for 
us, the book tells us the way we maintain it is by doing 10 steps when we get blocked off, starting our day with 11, talking to our higher power, ending our day with 11 and helping other people. And if I do those three things, I will maintain my spiritual condition. And if I don't do those three things, then alcohol, which is a subtle foe, will, will bring me to trouble. Absolutely. So and then now it says, every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. And then it goes on to say, these are thoughts which must go with us constantly. We can exercise our willpower along this line all we wish. It is a proper use of the will, which of course ties back to step three, where we have to turn our will over to the care of God. And then we figure out what our will and our life is. And now, as long as I am working on the maintenance of my spiritual condition and I am working on my relationship with God and asking for God's will, then I can be pretty confident most of the time that I'm doing the right thing. Right. And like you said, in step three, our will and our life, I always tell the women I work with, my life is my action and my will is my thinking. And so we're going to turn our thinking over to God. And here in step 10, the book promises me, now I get the power of my mind back as long as I keep aligning my mind with God, which is they're about to take me into step 11 and they're going to show me how I can do that, how I can ask for that, how I can practice that. Mm -hmm. And two things. One is I always know. So I, in the beginning of my sobriety, I was always at discussion meetings where they would ask, does anyone have a serenity threatening topic, which I think is the worst question you could ever ask a group of drunks, because if someone's not working the steps every minute of every day is serenity threatening. And I always hijack the meeting and would ask some question and there would be full meetings where they would, the topic would be what's God's will and how do you know what it is? And that was exhausting to listen to a bunch of us talk about what we think God's will is. And I got to a place where it's really, really clear two things. One is if I don't want to share with my sponsor, what I think God's will is, that's a pretty good indication that it's not God's will. And the other is for me, my higher power just wants me to be useful and kind. When I do those two things, I never get into trouble. And when I forget them, I do. Right. And I also like that it's, that it's just basically talking about thinking. So how do we address our mental obsession? Here it is, by practicing step 10. Yes. Will you read that last paragraph before we get to step 11? Sure. So as much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. If we have carefully followed directions, we have begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. To some extent, we have become God conscious. We have begun to develop this vital sixth sense, but we must go further and that means more action. So for me, God conscious looks like me being aware and starting to look for God working in my life and in other people's lives. And that was not something that I did before. Yeah, I pretty much had to be hit over the head with a two by four to see God working in my life. Yeah. And once I started practicing step 10 and kind of easing some of that uh, mental obsession, which keeps me so focused on myself. I could actually see, oh, that person looks like they're having a hard time. Right. Or 
is what's going on in somebody else. I was so consumed with self until I started doing this. You can't see anything. Right. And you know what I was thinking is that for me, I didn't even think about anyone else, like you said, because all I thought about was myself. But if I'm doing this work and following these directions, I'm doing the work to get clear. And then God's going to give me guidance. Like they said, I can pray for strength, inspiration, and direction. So they're telling me specifically on 85 what I'm allowed to ask my higher power for. Right. And this helps me to block all those things that are blocking me from God and everybody else. I am so grateful for your time. Oh, thank you. This was I'm so awesome. glad that you asked. Thank you for saying yes. Absolutely. I'm going to think about you when I do my 10 step and especially when I do it about my husband because I'm going to think about how I need to maintain and calm myself down. I am lucky enough that I found a partner that is willing to fight with me, but I also need to be careful that when I'm fighting with him, that I'm not fighting against him right. and that I'm trying to listen. I heard this one thing and then I'll let you go. And I totally could relate to it. It said that it wasn't someone in A, but it was someone that does spiritual work. And she said, be careful that you're not in conversations with people where you're listening for how you're going to respond rather than listening to what they're saying. Right. And I was like, I do that. Yeah. It's really easy to do. So much for your time. I hope you have an awesome day and you stay safe. Thank you. You too. Wow. Thanks. Bye.